Welcome back to The Spider-Man Who Loved Me, a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. We are the Super Sentai Buddies. I am Mark, and with me, as always, is my co-host and buddy, Brian. Brian, how you doing today? Doing doing well on this President's Day we're having off right now. <laughs> it has been a weirdly long weekend for me. I had Friday off uh, just by a quirk of scheduling, so I have had a... A nice extended four-day weekend. It's been great. My daughter and I spent a bunch of time running around this weekend, and I have just been on like a power tour of seven-year-old activities. How how are things in that seven-year-old demographic? (laughs) It's not bad. It's not bad. We went to like we went to Build a Bear. We went to a Keller Me Mine. I know of the first one. I don't know what the second one is. It's a place where you color like pottery effectively. It's it's a popular spot for children, for couples on like their first date. And I think for retirees who are looking for ways to fill their time. I think those are the three demos of Color Me Mine. It is definitely one of those things that shows up on Groupon all of the time. Okay. But it's just a it's a shop wherein you pick a clay item Mm -hmm. and plates bowls but just like statues penny banks all sorts of things Mm -hmm. and they have all sorts of paints and painting implements on hand for you to kind of make it look however you want and then you leave it there and they kiln bake it so it gets that nice kind of glassy finish and Mm -hmm. you pick it back up and that's that's really all there is to it Hmm. but it is it is like paradise to a seven-year-old because it's just a store full of things to paint and every possible painting implement you could want. Okay. So Ivy had a really, a really good time with it. It was very difficult for me, and I'm not an artsy dude. Let's get that up front to begin with. I, I, I don't have much by way of sort of artistic talent, but I'm a grown-up, and Ivy is a seven-year-old who, frankly, has seems so far to have mostly inherited my artistic abilities. (laughs) But she hasn't put that together yet, is what you're saying. Right. It is still joyful for her, but it was very difficult for me, her father, to sort of just watch her messing up and not be like, give me that paintbrush. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) She was coloring a dolphin, uh, and she kept just, like, missing spots, like where the fin joined to the dolphin body. Oh, uh, okay. And then there's, under the sort of clay dolphin, there's, like, this foam, the sea foam, so the dolphin looks like it's leaping out of the sea. Okay. But she just colored the tail the same color as the foam, and it was driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but I just sat there, and then she eventually explained it to me, uh, cleverly, I suppose, because she realized, eventually, she's like, oh, wait, there's a tail in there. Mm-hmm. And then she thought about it for a minute, She and, and I said, well, you can let it dry, and then just paint over top with the dolphin color. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I think his tail's just under the water still. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Learning learning that high-quality rationalization early in life. <laughs> yep. We also ended up going to see the new Wreck-It Ralph movie. We popped into a comic book store. It was a pretty good, pretty good couple of days. Sounds great. (laughs) My wife and I have taken turns being alternately kind of low-grade ill. So whichever one of us is feeling... And this has been like the last, I swear, three weeks our family has been sick in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so whichever one of us is sort of feeling better on any given day tries to divert Ivy's attention so the other one can rest. (laughs) That seems like a pretty good plan. Anyway, that's been that's mostly been my weekend so far. How are you doing? I'm 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 doing pretty good. I mean, when we had movie night, because in addition to you going to the movies, we also have our weekly movie night. We watched a film with Sam Elliott that was the man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. And then the Bigfoot. Yes, and then the Bigfoot. Which which I'm not sure is a movie that deserves more description than that. And I'm not sure I could explain it any better than that because it it was a weird mashup of that and other nonsense and also yeah. like just an old man regretfully looking back at life. <laughs> yeah, so 
This year, Sam Elliott was in a movie wherein he was nominated for an Oscar for his performance. And also this year, Sam Elliott was in a movie called The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot. Yes. And having heard that, you'd expect it to be sort of like a like a B-movie, drive-in, monster movie kind of fun times flick. It definitely was not that. You are right. It is this weird sort of poignant movie of a man in his 70s kind of wistfully looking back on a life that got away from him. Yeah, it's... (laughs) And then killing the Bigfoot. Right, and then killing the Bigfoot. Because previously (laughs) in this life, he did kill Hitler. Yeah, Uh, yeah, he absolutely... He killed Hitler, had like 40 years, and then killed Bigfoot. Right. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, I... I can't do any justice to explaining this movie. I'm not even sure I'm recommending you watch this movie, except if you want to just try to understand what this is, you kind of have to watch that movie. Yeah, it it is. I would very confidently say I recommend this movie. Okay. It will not be what you're expecting it to be. Nope. But I, I legitimately enjoyed watching it. Yes, I, I, I will agree to that. All right, let's because we've got we've got to push on here. Let's get to those those five stars. Right, so we shining are this shining week... in the heavens. There are five stars. <laughs> right, we are this week going to be watching an episode of the Sentai Brothers called "Strange Tales from the Past: The Cursed Cat Grave." But before we get there, as you say, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. Normally, this is a segment where the guys talk about five interesting things that happened in their week. When Brian and I do our version of the show, it's just a top five list of a subject we've picked out. Right. With each of us having five because we didn't really plan this out the first time we did it. We sure didn't. This show, if you haven't, if you didn't notice what Brian mentioned earlier, it's always a little bit slapdash on the Super Sentai Buddies weeks. Yep. So, we are this week going to look at... Five of our favorite Steam games, which are, I don't want to say underrated gems because that sounds like sort of a hacky category, but we're just looking for five Steam games that surprised us. Uh, We're looking at games, and it doesn't have to be Steam. I said Steam because I happened to be looking at my library when we were discussing what topic to do at like five in the morning. Yeah. But it's just what we're looking for are five video games that caught us off guard, that aren't AAA titles or maybe from major studios, but that ended up being really fun. So, Brian, uh, what is your first star of the week? Uh, my first star of the week will be my time at Porsche, which is yeah. a Harvest Moon alike, Stardew Valley alike. I mean, Stardew Valley is the game in that space that got you know, all of the press over the past couple right. of years. It uh, is kind of the standard bearer at this point. Right. Uh, my time at Porsche is is really more of a, instead of you're the town farmer, you're kind of the town blacksmith. And just building things and mining and just, it's just kind of a nice, sedate, quiet place <laughs> where you're always <laughs> rushing to build more things because, man, they, they run out of baskets and leather belts in that town Real, real quick. Um, I mean, it's uh, on occasion, it's a bit dodgy as far as voiceovers and that sort of thing go. But right. uh, it, it still has its own level of charm. And I sunk way too many hours in it when it released. Like <laughs> My wife is currently hours. playing this game based on your recommendation. Because you guys share overlapping interests in that video game space, which is honestly one of my favorite things about your taste in video games particularly. Mm -hmm. You seem to have a real soft spot for that kind of slice of life management sim. Oh, I really do. Um, Heck, uh, just to switch over to mention Stardew Valley uh, for a second. Stardew Valley opens up by your character just being a... uh, tired hates the world office drone <laughs> who desperately needs to get out of that sort of life so let me tell you it really it really struck a chord with me <laughs> nice but uh yeah i just there's there's 
think of it as kind of turning a spreadsheet into a game almost because really like you're managing income you're managing how many things to plant you know when they're gonna come up it's there's just something delightful about management sims that i think are they're overlooked so my fifth star this week and i'm gonna start with the stupidest item on my list admittedly okay is a game called Cat Lateral Damage. Okay. Which is, it's a game wherein you play a cat in one of about six or seven different rooms in a house, and the entire game is just to destroy the room, like to knock as many things off of tables, and to tear down curtains, and to play in boxes. The whole game is just a cat destroying a room. Oh, I have the live-action version of that. <laughs> but it is sort of like a like a video game stress ball. It is just the most... You can play around in, I don't know, 10 minutes or less, and it is the most deeply satisfying game experience. It's in uh, first-person view, so you just see your paws swiping <laughs> from the left and the right. Okay. And it's so ridiculously cathartic. And that's really... It is very basic. It's uh, pretty simple graphics. It's 3D, but it's 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 not highly developed. It's just really, really fun. And I think it was developed originally to be VR capable. Okay. So in theory, if you have a VR headset, you are actually just looking around the room and swinging your, your hands as paws to swipe stuff off. That That's absurd. all there is to it. It's real stupid, but it's cheap and very fun. What, Brian, what is your fourth star of the week? Uh, my fourth star is I'm going to throw together all of those Shadowrun games that came out a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, Shadowrun Return, Shadowrun Dragonfall, Shadowrun Hong Kong. Uh, they, they really scratched an itch to play as the world is going to be in about five years. Uh, <laughs> you know, with Megacorps running everything. I guess there's not right, dragons right. yet, but, you know, just wait. But, uh, yeah, it was it was real fun to play all of those. Uh, Dragonfall is generally considered the best of them. Uh, Returns is a little lighter, but it was the first one. And Hong Kong has even more lore text than maybe mm. I think is appropriate. And so that's <laughs> saying something. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good time with those. It's a really good fictional universe. I love the setting of that game so much. Right. And it also scratches that itch that, you know, I've had since college because... For whatever reason, no matter how many games we all played, we never really could get any sort of sustained Shadowrun slash Cyberpunk game ever going more than like a session and a half. Yeah, we tried so hard to tabletop every version of this sort of bright neon commercial driven apocalyptic future game you could imagine and we just never landed it yeah well you know we're older now maybe maybe someday <laughs> that is that is a i'll take this as a super brief aside because we don't have a ton of time we played a lot of tabletop rpgs in college because you have the time right oh, you, just, you yeah. literally all live in the same space right and you have nothing but time and class is optional right and then there's this this dearth of a decade and a half where you always think about wanting to play role-playing games and you just don't have the time or the, you don't have everyone together but in that intervening time technology has now caught up to a place where we can play online and so suddenly there is more role-playing more dice-based tabletop role-playing in my life than there has been since college it's really fantastic it is and I feel like options are back on the table again, which is encouraging. Anyway, yep. my fourth star of the week is a game called Gone Home. Are you familiar with Gone Home? I am aware of Gone Home. I own Gone Home. Uh, I have never played Gone Home. So Gone Home is sort of an exploration-based story game. You play a character who has lived overseas for a while, You've come back to see your family. I think you've been gone for a year. Mm -hmm. Come back to see your family and the house is abandoned. And the game starts with you just exploring the house and kind of finding things that help you 
piece together recent events as you search for your family. It's not super long, and it is very story-driven, so it's not an action-intense game. But it's just one of those games that really delivers a particularly strong narrative performance in a kind of asymmetrical way. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it is worth playing. It's not one I don't think you could really revisit. Right. Because most of the sort of magic to it is in uncovering the story. Mm -hmm. But it's really, it's really unsettling, but also captivating. It's, it's, It's well worth the experience, I think. Cool. All right, moving on. Star number three. So my star number three is a game called Valiant Hearts The Great War. And Ooh. it is basically a World War One like narrative puzzle game, if that's a way to describe <laughs> okay. it. Like okay. you're you're kind of just solving I mean you're you're solving adventure game kind of puzzles, like, oh, I need this shovel so that I can dig this thing, so that I can get under this trench, so I can give like this thing to this officer and just that right. sort of thing. Uh and it's set in World War One and it's like It's interesting and fun is the wrong word to use, (laughs) uh, which is generally like anything dealing with any of the world wars, but specifically World War One is fun is the wrong word to use, but it's definitely interesting and uh, poignant and pretty in a way. Nice. I you have told me about that one before. I have not really investigated it. I need to put it on the ever growing list. Right. Because what this this segment is really turned into is uh weird niche artsy games because like <laughs> I mean part of that is like you guys know all of the big title games. I'm not here to tell you to play Mass Effect. You already know right. that. You know to play The Witcher. Come on. Uh, <laughs> half of this podcast when Matt and Dave are here is dedicated to Fallout. Like, you're aware of all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. So I do feel like it would have been sort of secretly fun and within <laughs> the tenor of this show for us to have just made these stars like Fallout's 3 through present. Uh, Fallout 3 is the only one that I've actually beaten from that point forward. I've actually <laughs> beaten Fallout 1 and 2 uh, because what I and that is only within the past couple of years because I basically had never finished any of them. And so right, I went right. on, fine, I'll play one the whole way through, play two the whole way through, I'll play three the whole way through. And that's the farthest I got the whole way through. But hey, that was that was more than I had done previously. Fallout segment over. All right. My third star is, and I know you've played this one, Sunless Sea. I, I have played it. It, it did not... It did not latch on to me as much as it latched on to, I think, everyone else in my friend circle. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but... Uh... So, Sunless Sea is sort of a light horror, steampunk noir sailing game. Set in a world called Fallen London, which is a version of London that has literally slipped underground and is located in a giant underground ocean. And it is built on the back of the old model of text-based RPG games. And Brian, I know you played some of these in your youth. Yeah. Uh, So the, the kind of the bulk of the game is driven through literal text narrative and then decisions that you make. So in a way, it's almost like unfolding a choose your own adventure story. Mm hmm. The game is very explorative. It's very, very, very narrative driven. There's not a lot of action to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is very much just about uncovering this extraordinarily weird world. It is a deeply unforgiving game. Uh, You are expected to die multiple, multiple times. You don't get to keep most of your stuff when you die. So... And the game changes every time you die, so you can't just repeat the same thing you did over and over. But it is a game that forces you to learn its own mechanisms carefully and methodically in order to kind of eventually become successful at it. But it's really, for me, it hits that real sweet spot. And I I was a sucker back in the day for a text-driven RPG, and it harkens back to that for me in a lot of good ways. All right, 
moving on. Star number two. So star number two, and uh, before we had talked, you know, you said Steam games. I'm like, I think I have a substitution I want to make. Uh, partially because I just beat it on the 3DS. Uh, it is Radiant Historia Perfect Chronology. Ooh. Now, Radiant Historia was a DS game, and Perfect Chronology is a 3DS both remake but also expansion that kind of puts a bow on everything ultimately. Um, you're basically playing a character who can travel between parallel worlds and sort of back and forwards Ooh. in time in those worlds. Okay. I'm in. in in many ways, I, I think this feels like the missing spiritual successor to the concept of Chrono Trigger. Oh, nice. Because uh, it's all about like, oh, well, I can't advance further in this timeline because I need to go to the other timeline and make a different choice here Ooh, to unlock right? this because it parallelly impacts this timeline. It's, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, it's, you know, it's very Japanese uh, as can be expected, but I uh, I just finished the perfect chronology version like 12 hours ago so nice yeah very timely yeah my second star will be a real quick one to talk about it is pac-man 256 okay which is the only i think sort of major studio title on my list and that it was developed obviously by uh namco or bandai namco or whatever version that company is now yeah it is just it is a procedurally generated endless play Pac-Man game. Mm-hmm. You start at the beginning of a, a, a traditional Pac-Man board that just continues to grow upwards as something called the glitch consumes the board behind you. And that's literally all there is to it. But as a guy who grew up, I mean, Ms. Pac-Man was my first sort of the first video game I fell in love with. And I love Pac-Man in general. Mm hmm. This game is the perfect balance of sort of all of the Pac-Man mechanics are exactly right, but the endless generation gives it a different challenge to any other sort of Pac-Man engine. Yeah, I, and it's exactly what you'd expect from this sort of runner game, mm-hmm. but it's it's just a blast. Yeah, I remember when you and several friends of ours had high scores on the list, and all of us were like, oh, we got these high scores, and your high score was, I don't know, an order of magnitude, <laughs> like 10, 20, 100 times higher than ours, because you, in fact, are a Pac-Man wizard. There was a hot minute, and this is about the only video game thing I can ever brag about, but there was a hot minute where I was in the worldwide top 20 on that game. It did not last long, but I was there. Fair enough. All right, let's finish this out. Star number one. Star number one for me is to the moon. I, oh, yeah. I I don't even know how to describe to the moon. Um, it's It sort of has a 16-bit era look about it. It's really just a purely narrative game. Like, there aren't really game mechanics or anything to speak of. It's It's just kind of a narrative journey sort of reassembling the memories of someone's mm. life to, you know, kind of figure out, like, what, how can they, how can their soul rest peacefully when they pass? Right. Uh, and it's, it's just pure art, really. So There's You had something... told me about To the Moon for literally years. Yeah, a couple of years. And one day... After we had moved home from our year in Cleveland, and we were still looking for a new place, so we were staying briefly with my in-laws while we were ironing out purchasing the house that we are in now, Mm -hmm. and I was up late and unable to sleep. I was having just kind of a a dark night of the soul, Yep. and I purchased To the Moon on my iPhone just because I was looking for something to kill time, and you had recommended it so many times. Right. Played through it in a single sitting throughout pretty much the entire night that game actually brought me to tears by the end yeah that's uh it did the same for me because i was it 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 is the perfect place like if you're already kind of on the edge of being just a hair sad and you play through that game there's just something 
there's something beautiful and moving about it. Mm. I I don't I mean maybe maybe you at home your your soul is just a stone and you you cry not, but yeah, it it also made me weepy. Uh, I don't know. It was just a game that, for whatever reason, it struck me as beautiful. All right, my star number one, and this is controversial, but I put it here exactly for this reason because I want to highlight something interesting about it. Is a game called Ukulele. Ukulele was made by a bunch of expats from Rare, some of the development team who had worked on Banjo-Kazooie. Okay, I am familiar with this game. And it Uh, is, in a lot of ways, the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. I mean, it plays exactly like a game of that era. mm -hmm. The reason I put it on the list was not because it's astounding, it's it's just very fun, but when it launched, it was kind of hot garbage. It was mm -hmm. a it was a bad game, and it had a lot of press. It had a big Kickstarter. Obviously, Banjo-Kazooie is, a, is kind of a beloved game. Right. And it struggled out of the gate. And they managed to kind of pull it back, implement a number of really significant kind of game mechanics, uh, patches, and fixes, and turned it into really just a little gem of a game. And I'm not sure that it ever managed to kind of overcome that initial negative press, which, right. to be fair was very earned. Yeah. But if you like that sort of Nintendo 64 era platforming exploration game, Ukulele got there. It's really good. And if you play it now, it will deliver what you were looking for. Cool. Yeah. I'm glad, anyway, that's, I'm <laughs> glad that could be salvaged. Unlike from what I hear, Mighty Number no. 9. Oh, man. Someday we will do an entire podcast just on... Because <laughs> you know me. Uh, yeah. Mega Man is an important franchise to me. I put a lot of money into that Kickstarter. I have a lot of feelings, but we don't have time for those <laughs> feelings, Brian. We've got different feelings to discuss. Right. Because it is time to discuss uh, Spider-Man episode number eight, Strange Tales from the Past, The Cursed Cat Grave. <laughs> We're going to take a break. We're going to watch it. And we will be right back to talk about that very strange thing. Change the apart off! Uh, <laughs> all right, we're back. Brian, how how do you feel about that episode? Um, ah, uh, I... Is it just me, or is this series becoming more and more nonsense with each passing episode? <laughs> it is. I had the same opinion. This show is getting... We're only eight episodes in, but it right. is getting increasingly unhinged. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I felt like we had the structure of a plot back in, you know, episodes one, two, three, four. Yeah. And and as we go on, it gets increasingly weird vignettes. I don't even know what this show is anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's... Let's dig into it. It's got... I will say this as we kind of talk about it. There is an era of cartoon shows that probably started, frankly, in this time and persisted well into the 80s and through most of the 90s, I would say, where cartoons for children were very, very episodic. Mm -hmm. And those episodes only vaguely sort of held together against any sort of show Bible. Right. The Ninja Turtles, which is a cartoon that I love, had a really incredibly strong first season. And then by, like, season four, Leonardo is riding on dinosaurs and <laughs> Shredder is, like, skiing on pizza boxes. Like, it it all falls apart very quickly, right? And it's still yeah. fun. I still love that show. But week to week, the quality can jump all over the place. And the characterizations will change pretty dramatically. Yeah. And that is even when they're in the correct uh, colored uh, masks, <laughs> as would often not happen on the Ninja Turtles, where, you know, someone just drew what colored masks out of a hat that they were going to color in a frame. Right. Uh, and so there is there is a shade of that as we're getting deeper into Spider-Man. And I don't know if it will correct, but the last couple of episodes have felt very much in that sort of... We're just going to tell a weird story, and, you know, who cares if it particularly connects to anything else we've established before? Right. We're just here to tell you a weird story about Spider-Man. Right. Or, in 
Today's episode, a weird story about a cursed cat grave. <laughs> yeah, so the title of this episode, as aforementioned, The Cursed Cat Grave, that's not a metaphor or anything. That's just what's going on in this episode. Yeah, there was a demon cat. He had a grave. The grave is cursed if you dig it up. Like, that's, I mean, that's standard. <laughs> standard Spider-Man lore. Yeah. I guess it is fair to say that Spider-Man often encounters animal-based villains. Yes. They, I feel like there was a whole section in, it was either the late 90s or early 2000s, where they were like, yeah, nope, spider totems, everything, it's all oh, animal-based. Right. Like, they they went hard into the paint on that nonsense, as I feel it is, but... <laughs> So maybe maybe this episode is just the weirdest possible interpretation of of I'm suddenly blanking on Spider-Man's primary cat villain. Uh I mean there's the black cat. Black cat. Yes, I kept I kept wanting to say Catwoman, no. which my brain knew was badly incorrect. Yes. So maybe this is just the creepiest and weirdest possible interpretation of the black cat. I mean, maybe. I feel if you would make it more like the actual black cat, it would get weirder and more creepy. <laughs> yeah, let's let's dig into it. So we open on a small temple uh-huh. during a lightning storm inside... There is a little cat meowing. Outside, there are a bunch of ninders running around digging up a grave. Yeah. Uh, why? No one seems to know. But, like, when they strike bones, it's clear that they're cat bones, because that's when we get the title drop, The Cursed Cat Grave. And, and immediately, I already don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Yeah. Again, this episode opens on a bunch of ninders digging up a cat grave outside of a outside of a temple. That's a weird open. Particularly because I think grave desecration is one of the the sort of universally recognized human sins, right? Yeah. And I know this is a cat grave, but still, that it's a big deal to dig up a grave. And we are opening this program for small children on a bunch of bad guys digging up a grave in a lightning storm. Yeah, but it's okay, because when we jump to uh, to the Professor Monster and the Amazonas, we, we get the recitation that, oh, no, no, this this cat, yeah, it was a demon cat who was an evil cat who went around mauling people to death until yeah. a samurai cut him in half. This cat has a backstory. At first, I want to point something out. When they get the cat skull out of the grave, did you notice this as well? The cat skull is about the size of an actual human skull. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a big evil cat that mauled several people to death. Apparently, it was like a leopard or something. Right. I want to know, why does Professor Monster know this story? Because this cat was like 200 years ago. Did he, like, drive by Earth at that point? Like, oh, demon yeah. cat. Also, so, like, it's a demon cat, but it only killed, like, a dozen people. I mean, you're trying to take over the world. And you <laughs> think, like, a demon cat whose body count was less than 20 is going to cut it? That, that, there's a lot of questions about... Uh, Professor Monster and his kind of competency as yeah. we progress through this series. Yeah, like he's it's it's always real low. I mean, geez, you guys knocked off four people in a boy band last week. Uh, just yeah. so, yeah. But he has I guess these really specific narrow band plots that seem like they should have extraordinarily low percentages <laughs> of success. Well, I mean, so far, you know, we're ringing in at extraordinarily low percentage of success. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, his ninders have desecrated a cat grave yep. and brought him the bones of the demon cat that, as you say, 200 years ago killed somewhere south of two dozen people. Yep. We get a flashback. And obviously this cat's supposed to be big. We talked about its skull. Right. But when they do the actual flashback... 
the cat is very definitely just a raggedy looking house cat that they're trying to zoom in close on to make it look big. Yep. They are suggesting basically that sort of a stray alley tom just killed a couple of dozen people. Yep. Until a samurai sliced him in half. And when I say sliced him in half, I mean someone took a film frame and cut it with scissors in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a, a funny way to demonstrate it. But yeah. definitely a samurai puts yep. his sword between the eyes of this cat yep. and just splits him nose to tail. Yep. Straight down the middle. I honestly have to hand it to them. Every time one of these goofy camera things comes up, which is really the entire series, I just I just smile because of the sheer audacity of, I think this is working for me. It's so charming. They're doing this show on obviously zero budget. Right. I think they may have had to pay somebody to rent the props. <laughs> and it is, it's just really charming. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we come back from that flashback. Inside the Shrine Temple, there is an old woman with an umbrella who is going out to investigate the desecrated grave. And... I think at this point, the announcer notes that the grave has been desecrated, and this means the curse of the cat will surely follow. Right. We're never told what the curse of the cat is. Nope. Um, other than you released the cat serial killer, which was the point, so I don't know if that's the curse. <laughs> yeah. So my question, because we're kind of stapling two plots together here. And as always, that poor announcer is doing yeoman's work trying to bring the threads of things around. Yeah, yeah. But the, there's this idea, and I'm spoiling a little, but we're, we're going to talk about it in a minute, that this shrine is here very specifically to effectively keep imprisoned the soul of the demon cat. Yes. So that is what this old woman is praying about. That, that's her job as the, as the shrine lady. Uh, it is her job to pray every day. It seems very specifically to keep that cat imprisoned. Right. So by desecrating the grave, the cat may, like, I don't know, the soul of the cat may break free? Yeah, I'm not sure. Usually these spiritual, like, locks and stuff uh, aren't easily overcome by shovels. That's my question. So, I mean, obviously they're going to have to kill her, which we'll get there. Right, yeah. But Professor Monster does not seem to be leveraging the whole demon cat thing. He's just building a demon cat robot monster. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a robot monster that is inhabited by the soul of the demon cat, maybe? Okay, yeah. Okay, I'll buy that. So Professor Monster says to the Amazon, the Amazonist, who you may recall is his uh, the leader of the Iron Cross Army. Yep. He says to her, this demon cat's kind of soul and presence and evil is so strong that you can hear it meowing <laughs> even as it haunts the room. And he kind of waves it in her face and he's like, do you hear it? Do you hear its power? I'm not convinced that Professor Monster isn't the most insane person in the entire universe. <laughs> I know he's like, the worst bad guy. Pr Professor Monster seems to share a lot in common with, uh, what was it, Goma the 15th, who is also another crazy <laughs> mad ruler who is yes. clearly unsuitable to rule but is in charge anyway. That's really Professor Monster. I, That's an I, extraordinarily good point, Brad. Yeah, I, I do not know uh how he managed to conquer all of these other worlds because <laughs> this is a bad plan so here's here's my favorite part about that right so he's telling her that the soul of the demon cat essentially still resides in the skull right and he's waving it around saying don't you hear it and then there is an actual audible meow a ghost meow <laughs> Which is, that's fun by itself. Yeah. There's definitely a meow put through, like, an echo processor. Yep. So it's got a little bit of, like, a haunty ghost. Yeah, ethereal but, meow. But in addition to the meow, the jaw of the skull actually opens while it meows. 
<laughs> I love this so yeah. much. Which is, I will point out, that makes this cat more likely to meow than the actual cats that they had to overdub in the episode. <laughs> who are definitely not meowing when they go meow. <laughs> when I like the idea that the soul of the demon cat definitely hovering around still haunting the world with its meows but look this cat is practical this this demon cat if yeah. it's gonna meow it's gonna open its jaws to do it yeah because we know there's still a voice box still inside that soul. right evil oh, demon amazing. cat meows i like to imagine that that was just professor monster working it like a puppet <laughs> don't you hear it <laughs> <laughs> Are you suggesting that he's also doing the voiceover as well? <laughs> he's just throwing his voice. Yeah. Yeah. Amazonis is like, oh, I, fine, whatever. Is it just me or is she effectively rolling her eyes through this whole episode? Yeah. Yeah. Like, she knows that this is, this is like the plan that you put together when you know you're going to be out of the office for a couple of weeks and you're like, look, <laughs> right. I don't expect anything good to happen or big or useful. So, you know, here's here's what will keep keep the lights on. <laughs> but, but, but Professor Monster is really into this. Man, plan. he is really into this one. He's so I, convinced. I'm I'm feel I feel really bad for him. <laughs> like, I feel bad to suggest that the evil record player plan was way more effective than this one's going to be, <laughs> at least against Spider-Man. So here's here's my my second favorite thing in this scene. And this scene may have been my favorite scene in the whole the mm-hmm. whole show. But the but Professor Monster explains that he's going to use the bones of the cat to make a machine bem. Right. So he's going to make a machine bem ghost cat. Yep. And how he explains that it will work is that it will haunt people to death. Yeah. Uh, And by haunt people to death, we basically find out that he's created a vampire serial killer. Yeah. By haunt people to death, he definitely means rip their chest open with its pointed claws and drink their blood from their still beating hearts. I mean, he usually drinks blood from the neck, as we can see with the four or five women (laughs) they killed. Why is this cat a vampire? I don't know. I don't know why the cat is a vampire. I do know that he's already killed like four or five people when we open up. So he's about halfway to his old score. Here is a thing I will say. There are listeners to this program who are far more familiar with Japanese language than any of the hosts are. Yep. So if there's some nuance to the name of this ghost cat, and maybe maybe the sort of ghost it is is evocative of, a, or the sort of demon that it is is sort of evocative of vampire lore, let us know, because there seems to be no bridge between the idea of a basically just a dead feral cat and a vampire. Hey, I mean, last uh, last time we were doing Xena over in our podcast, we also had banshees that acted like vampires. So, you know, yeah, that's right. maybe, maybe the playbook is, if in doubt, just give whatever undead creature you have vampire characteristics and <laughs> it'll be fine. All right. So we are now going to meet our boy Takoya who is the Peter Parker of this show. Right, and somehow a worse boyfriend. I was going to say, would you like to guess what Takoya is doing with his very first screen time of this episode? Complaining about having to drive Hitomi to this shrine to investigate <laughs> this uh, this cat lady. Yeah, hey, young Japanese boy, would you like to throw your attractive girlfriend on the back of your motorcycle and go for a drive? And the answer every single time is no. What is wrong with this man? (laughs) This guy, he is so legitimately uninterested in his girlfriend. Uh, It's real sad. It is real sad. That's fine. You don't, you're a young man. You don't have to be in love, but end that relationship if this is the state of things. She deserves better than you. Partially because it has still never been explained whether or not Takoya has a job other than ride this bike. Dirt biking. Yeah. Yeah. We've never seen him professionally dirt bike. We've heard that that might be something he does. (laughs) So he is whining because he is 
And this is what he says. He's getting very tired of dragging his girlfriend around on all of her reporting jobs. (laughs) Well, somebody has to make money. (laughs) And they, it turns out, are going to interview the old lady from the beginning of the episode. Because not only does she tend to this shrine, she also can speak to cats. Right. Now, I'm just going to put, like... A 70s note on this, uh, 70s women note, because, I don't know, does something feel off about having the weekly woman dispatch reporters to talk to old ladies who speak to cats? Like, is that is that the yeah. hard-hitting journalism that we're really looking for? Yeah, it is. It, it does feel a little condescending here. Yeah. But hey, whatever. We are We are here to talk to a crazy cat lady. Yep. And she explains that she lives alone in this temple with her cats. Yep. One the temple who is, is run dirt- down, presumably because she's just getting old and there's no one else to help her care for it. Right. One of those cats is very clearly uh, Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I call that cat Hitler cat. Yep. For the remainder of the show. So there are two cats here. There is a kitten mm-hmm. who's sort of a, like an orange tabby. Yep. And then there is the kitten's, I think, mother, who is a calico with a 100% Hitler stash. Yep. All right. So the old lady explains that she lives alone here. It is her job to care for this temple, this shrine. It's fallen into ill repair because she's getting up there in years. She, you know, she doesn't have the sort of physical strength to keep it in repair. Hey, I uh, I get it. I'm I'm in my mid thirties. I don't have the physical strength to keep up that kind of repair. And the whole time that she is doing this, Takoya is just being the worst. Yeah, he is effectively making fun of her to his face. He's rolling her eyes. He keeps saying, "This is not true. There's no way this is true. You're an insane old woman." Right. This from the man who is bitten by a spider. From Planet Spider, who fights intergalactic machine bems every week. And this lady can talk to cats. I don't see it. Yeah. Even though I've been saved by the power of spider blood. We are now at the point of the episode. That is it, effectively, for anything that makes narrative sense through this episode. Yep. We're done with any sort of structure at all. We're just going to visit a handful of vignettes with the announcer desperately trying to connect them. Yep. So the announcer pops up here and tells us, effectively, Takoya's spider sense is tingling. He smells the Iron Cross army. And I don't think smells is a literal translation, but the announcer is informing us that his senses are telling him something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Yes. And then we're just cutting to, oh, uh, the machine bem demon cat trying to abduct and murder yet another girl. Yeah, demon cat is just on a highway on a bloody killing spree. Yep. It wants, and the cat says this, it wants, it needs more tasty blood. Yes, because for some reason, demon cat loves blood. Yeah, not just, this is not just a situation where the cat needs blood to survive. This cat is quite literally bloodthirsty. Yep. She is gleefully reveling in the consumption of human blood. Yeah, it's kind of the only defining and motivating thing that keeps this cat going. Yeah. And there are a number of bodies kind of strung out on the ground. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're all dead. I believe so. Because I think we've mentioned this before. Like, by the time you get to Super Sentai, for the most part, like, people are fine. Uh, Every now and then, you might highlight one person who's dead. But in the Spider-Man universe, they kill, like, ten people a week. Yeah, innocents are dying left and right in this show. Yep. All right, so how, how is the killing spree interrupted? Do you remember? I mean, Spider-Man just appears and announces he's an emissary from hell. 
That is true, but very first, there is Hitler cat spying from the bushes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and then we throw like an energy lasso around Hitler cat, and I think that's yeah. the last time we see him. Yeah, I don't think I, we ever get back to Hitler I, cat. I wondered, like, was Hitler cat going to, you know, tell Spider-Man? Apparently, no. There or seemed it, to be the implication that, that they were psychically linked somehow, because Hitler cat spies the, the cat demon. Yep. The cat demon says, oh, no, what are you doing here? And captures him. Yep. And then Spider-Man shows up. Yep. There's a lot of that for the remainder of this episode, though, as aforementioned. Yeah. Hitler cat was never seen nor heard from again. Nope. They have a bit of an extended fight. We, uh, We don't get to see a lot of it. No. We don't know how it ends. We just suddenly rejoin Demon Cat back in headquarters. Sort of being berated because, is it my imagination, or is Professor Monster absolutely flabbergasted that Spider-Man interfered? Yeah. So every other week, his plans have been very intentionally designed to defeat specifically Spider-Man. That is what he is doing. Right. This week, he seems to want his demon cat to go on a killing spree of all of Tokyo and seems shocked astounded that spider-man would possibly pop up to interfere with us at all i i mean maybe spider-man be doing here maybe the plan was like look trying to stop spider-man has not worked out but maybe if we didn't actively try to stop him like he'd uh live and let live you know (laughs) maybe so maybe that but effectively what has happened is Cat Demon was on a killing spree, and Spider-Man just kind of showed up and and chased her away. And Professor Monster tells tells Demon Cat, there will be no more of that. You can't, do not let this Spider-Man chase you away. You will go and end Spider-Man, or there will be no more blood of the humans for you. Right. And also, we know you survive only by drinking the blood of the humans. So, you know, we're serious. I, I'm i not clear. I'm not clear how the loyalty system works in the Machine Bem Empire. Like, no. this is this is the bound soul of a demon that was here 200 years before you guys even showed up. So I don't I don't know why we're insistent on uh, honoring that pact, but. Also, they throw in, oh, you have to kill the old woman. She said too much. Here's the thing. She's <laughs> already said all of it. Yeah. Uh, well, almost all of it. So I I don't know why they feel they need to kill the old woman, but uh, they do. Off screen, because the next thing we see is Takoya. The announcer tells us he's going back to the temple to get to the bottom of this. Right. He was just at the temple. Well, but we he saw- had to- we saw a series of strange jump cuts, and apparently an indeterminate amount of time has passed in between all of those. Yep. And in there, the old lady got murdered, presumably by Demon Cat. Or she could have just died of natural causes, because she was 172. It's true. Yeah. So while he is in there, Takoya sees a cat doll, or a statue of a cat, that for some reason catches his attention. He also makes a promise to a small kitten that he will avenge that kitten's owner. <laughs> it's endearing, but kind of weird. Yeah, it, it it really is find the cutest object here and pledge to murder something on its behalf. <laughs> Don't you worry, kitten. There will be blood spilled for you. Yeah. Then he wanders out. And again, none of this makes sense anymore. He wanders out into the woods and finds, like, some sticks. It's something about a burnt offering. And there's this weird raven that's constantly hanging out. Yep. Which is one of those things where I can't figure out whether or not they just kept the shot because it looked cool. But also, every now and then seems like, yeah, that raven just flew in on set and we can't do anything about it. So we're working around it. Right. And so while he's out here kind of investigating this I don't know, sort of burnt offering site. He is attacked by the demon cat and does not have enough time to transform back into Spider-Man. Right. Which 
must be a very quick attack because it literally takes a second and a half to transform into Spider-Man. We've seen him do it before. It's basically the blink of an eye. Right. I mean, it basically transformation into Spider-Man is the Flash's like uniform ring. That's how he yeah. does it. Pretty much exactly. It must be the zipping up. The zipping up was going to take too long. <laughs> so here, the cat has cornered him. I guess the cat did not know he was Spider-Man. Possibly the... still doesn't? Right. Because the cat does not kill him. I mean, I suppose it leaves him for dead. He's mauled. Yeah, I, I think he manages to get away. But what the cat does note is he never forgets a face... And he remembers that face as the samurai who killed him. Yeah. 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 He says that for sure. The demon cat says that Takoya is definitely the samurai who killed him 200 years ago. Right. But even so, doesn't stick around to finish the job. Nope. Just moles him. And Cats get distracted. I, I think because of his sort of spider healing ability... He is able to stay alive. Right. It presumably uh, crawls back to the house because the next thing we know, he's waking up in his bed. Yeah. And well, I have he, to imagine that fever. if an emergency vehicle picked him up, they would have taken him to a hospital or something. I mean, maybe. Who knows? But He uh, wakes up and is musing about whether or not maybe his ancestor killed the cat. Right. There's also a vignette of scary cat noises, which turn out to be a dog and therefore nothing. Also, apparently, Japan has random power outages, you know, going on. Yeah, that random power outages and meowing just... dogs. Yes. I mean, it's all very strange. Yeah. Anyway, that that is just a brief nothing scene. Takoya bounces back. He's fine. Yeah, it was just like, well. I guess a good 12 hours of rest or whatever. Okay, now we can continue one as if that whole thing didn't happen. Uh, we don't we don't think like, well, I, I need to not get stabbed by claws or anything. It's just like, well, guess I'm fine. Back to the grind. Yep. And his little brother tells him that Hitomi, his girlfriend has returned to the shrine to get herself a scoop. Do they still call them scoops nowadays? Scoops very much feels like a dated newspaper term that you always will hear in media. But at the same time, like, I don't think they've used scoop since like 1998. Yeah. Anyway, Takoya throws on the spider suit, hops in the GP7, and speeds off to save Hitomi. Right. Hitomi, who is doing a way better job at not getting captured while not being Spider-Man than uh, Spider-Man ever was. Yeah, she's doing much better evasive maneuvering than Takoya did a little earlier. Even manages to take a picture, which I was like, yeah, yeah, Hitomi. Pulling it off. Yeah. Doing good. So... Spider-Man, using the machine guns on the GP7, briefly chases off the demon cat. Yep. And then does his weird crouching run thing. (laughs) Yep. To the shrine. Because he now, again, all of this, basically everything I'm saying has been said to us by the announcer. There's almost no dialogue. The announcer's just driving everything. Right. And he says Spider-Man is going to solve the mystery of the cat doll. By solve cat doll, yeah. By solve the mystery, you mean pull up the one curtain that says here is the solution to the mystery of the cat doll. <laughs> I'm not even sure he pulled it down. It looked to me like it just fell down. Maybe. So yeah, behind the one curtain in the room is a poster that says, "Oh, by the way, here's the secret. This doll is part of a sort of." Like a burnt offering ritual to imprison the soul of the cat. Yeah, it's basically a bind spell. Yes. Yeah, exactly. While he is doing that, the demon cat very cleverly closes the door behind him. 
I don't, I don't know why. He's polite. It doesn't attack him. doesn't lock him in or anything. It legitimately just closes the door and then goes and hijacks a bus full of children. Yeah. Uh, you know, it... I I can't explain it. I... I I remember seeing that. I could feel and you then, reaching for some headcanon. Look, just not I, I saw it and then I immediately deleted it from my brain because it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for things that just do not make sense. <laughs> I couldn't headcanon it. I, I couldn't tie it to some other headcanon. I couldn't even invent a plot line where it made sense other than, well, that's polite. Uh, so yeah, Demon Cat goes and hijacks a bus full of children. Yeah, we should point out probably that the Demon Cat looks sort of like a glam rock '80s cat. Yeah, like it's it's got this kind of wild like rock star hair. It's got this sort of shining silver bodice thing going on. It's yeah. very much got a kind of. If, glam rock look to it. And right. so as it's, jumping a, It's as if David Bowie directed Cats. Exactly. That's the perfect description. And so as it's jumping around on top of this bus, it's got this kind of silky mane of hair flying out behind it. It's a real weird look. Yeah, everything in this episode slash show is weird. And then suddenly Spider-Man is just fighting some ninders under a bridge. Yeah. Well, after he completes the ritual, like Spider-Man oh, did not go and chase the demon cat. He's like, well, I'll just calmly complete this ritual, which I guess the binding spell works to like make the cat feel like it's burning. Kind of. I think it just gave the cat a headache. Okay. Long and short of it. The binding spell absolutely does nothing. Like yeah. it minorly inconveniences the cat who wrecks a bus full of children uh, and then wanders off to like grab his head or whatever. Like <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was not the goal of the binding spell. Uh, no, minor no. inconvenience. But now Spider-Man has to fight some ninders. And that's really, I mean... We can talk about it a little, but that's really it. Because as we've mentioned before, the end of every one of these episodes is the same. Yeah. There's Marveler, Leopardon, Monster Grows Giant, they right. die in one hit. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, there was a brief second where the cat threw out his claws because apparently his arms detach as well. Yeah. Uh, but like everything else, anything that hits Leopardon is... Leopardon pretty much ignores it. Yeah. Like, Leopardon was lit on fire. Leopardon don't care. Leopardon oh, yeah. had claws, like, thrown at him and on him. Oh, shrug that off. <laughs> Just nothing even resembles damage on Leopardon. And it's arc turn, sword vigor, and then machine bem explodes. You do bring up a good point in that the cat bem can breathe fire. Yeah. You know, the, the vampire cat robot also has fire breath. Why wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, nope. <laughs> Leopardon's invulnerable to all damage. And so he <laughs> murders it. I, I do have to point out one in, in the whole sea of weirdness that is this show. One thing that is especially weird is the fact that none of these monsters get their machine bem name called out until 12 seconds before they die. Yeah, that's very consistent, too. Like, it's always the announcement of what machine bem they are right as they grow large and then they die. Despite the fact that it would make way more sense to introduce that name, I don't know, in the first 10 seconds when every single one of them appears in the episode, but... Right. Yeah. This was a weird one. It, it, and we talked about it already. But it was a very... It's a strange plot. This was just the saddest evil villain plot. I really it never was. got anywhere close to succeeding. I guess it did kill a handful of poor humans. Yeah, I mean, but that's like kind of par for course. I don't know why this cat was supposed to be more dangerous than anything previously faced. Like, cats aren't necessarily the natural enemy of spiders or anything like that. Right. Um, the the 
Cat Poison didn't particularly do anything other than keep Takoya out of commission for a couple hours. Yeah, it. Yeah. This, this is a bad plan, Professor Monster. You can do better. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully he will do better <laughs> next week. Look, or whatever I, it is that you and I sit down to talk about episode nine. I mean, let's let's be real. Like this show runs, I think, 41 episodes and one like movie in there around right. like episode nine or 10 or whatever, which means that clearly Professor Monster is way worse than any of the Super Sentai villains, because I think <laughs> all those shows last at least a couple episodes longer <laughs> than 41. So I do enjoy that you and I just the arc we the journey that we are on together is just to see how flabbergasted we can get as this series continues. I, I honestly thought that it wouldn't continue to be flabbergasting but it is because we've we've just taken all of the guardrails that reality has just taken them off and we don't have to make sense from scene to scene anymore yeah yeah which in some ways makes it very fun though right it's it's it does an enjoyable weird like i mean mirrored fun house of a show the the only consistent thing from episode to episode is that takoya is a bad boyfriend yeah that is our one consistent through line so bad (laughs) all right should we get out of here i think we should get out of here all right that will do it for another episode of the spider-man who loved me it was fun it was fun getting to do this again brian it's been a little bit yep I enjoy the chance to sit down. We are, as you know, we are on Twitter and Facebook. You can look up Super Sentai Bros on Twitter. You can find me and our little podcast studio at RO Radio on Twitter. You can find Brian at Mount Olympus Pod. Right. Sometimes I update that Twitter. (laughs) We We drop an episode every single week, and we have not missed an episode of Mount Olympus, The Adventures of Xena and Hercules. We haven't missed an episode of that the entire time from the first episode we dropped to, like, today. Never miss an episode. Twitter updates, on the other hand, miss those all the time. You can find the show and all of the other Retrograde Orbit radio productions on Google Play, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio. We're all over the map. Just any any podcast reader that you use, we are there. Look us up, rate the show, drop us a good review. Thank you for joining us for another Super Sentai Buddies. Matt and Dave will be back next week. But until then, this is Mark. And this is Brian. And this has been the greatest show on Earth. Spider-Man. Spider-Man.